Let's go to teachability uh, on that outline that you have. I'm gonna, I think, as I've been praying about this, I think I need to go ahead and finish up this teachability thing. This is so such an important part of life. The, um, being teachable seems so simple. It just it just seems so basic, and yet it is so hard. <laughs> frankly, you know, to be teachable to a video seminar is not that hard. To be teachable to someone standing like me right now in a lecture setting is not that hard. But when your child comes up and corrects you on what you've done, life gets tough. Whenever your wife tells you, you know, sweetheart, you're working on that and you just did it again, life gets tough. Now, teachability is not so hard when it comes to 2 plus 2 equals 4 or square roots or integral calculus. You know, that's just brain work. Teachability really gets hard, though, when it comes down to values and relationships when it comes down to really walking under the Lordship of Jesus. And yet, teachability is one of the big five in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, one of the big five that determine the relative success you're going to have in life. Again, success in Jesus' terms. There is, my understanding of Scripture, is that the bottom line is the will of God and faithfulness. This side of the bottom line, there is a, there is a relative success in the things of the world. Some people have more, some people have less. God determines that some people have more and some people have less. At the same time, uh, what I do makes a tremendous difference in what I experience in life. If I go through life like a warthog, you know, then you just don't anticipate having a lot of peace at 70. If I go through life as a spendthrift, then you just don't anticipate having a lot of money in, in the bank and live like a king at 70 years old. What I do makes a real difference. And Proverbs is about the what I do's. So um, teachability is very important. There's an idea in our culture that if somehow if we had a friendlier uh, educational or family background, almost all of us would have been geniuses. We'd at least all had our PhDs because we're just natural born learners. We're naturally teachable. We all have a learner's heart and because of the educational or associate, the educational process we go through or the socialization that we go through, we, that, that just gets eradicated and we become boneheads. But that's not true. We are, we are curious. Now we, we are born with a natural curiosity uh, but to be instructed is not something we gravitate to. Now, we're born curious, not teachable. Now, children are curious. You want to build on that curiosity. You don't want to quench it. But teachable, you tell them no and watch what they do. You know, two-year-olds, no, honey, you don't do. <laughs> it's called the terrible twos. Nobody had to send them away for a seminar on how to do that. It just flows out of who they are. And we can, you know, we can ruin the learning, learning ability of people. But we have to work to learn. We have to work against, against the bent of our natures to become instructable people. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we, of course, can. Uh, listen to these scriptures. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to your body, who 
life to those who find them, and health to a man's whole body. My son, keep your father's commands. Why is he saying this? Keep, 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 keep. Because it don't come natural. It's not natural to us. Whenever the Bible has a command, it's because there's usually a problem. So, keep, uh, keep my commands. Do not forsake your mother's teachings. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. Look at Proverbs 6, 20. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they'll watch over you. When you wake, they'll speak to you. These commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light, and the corrections of discipline are the way of life. Here's what Scripture says about success and teachability. Whoever gives heed to instruction prospers. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. To be teachable is to be apt to learn. That, that means both willing and able. Uh, willing to learn, able to learn. You don't, you don't teach algebra to armadillos. Why? You don't know algebra, right? <laughs> they don't have the capability. They don't have the capacity. They're not teachable in that sense. But our problem is not a problem of capacity. Ours is a problem of will. Uh, we need to be teachable. We need to exercise our will, willingness. I listened to these, Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. My son, keep my teachings. Do not forget my teachings. They promise prolonged life and health. They'll prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Prolong your life and bring you um, health to a man's whole body. Guidance and protection. Honor comes to those who are instructed. He who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. Whenever correction comes to you, God's just trying to raise your status a little. What we tend to think is somebody's out to, to bring us down. They're out to take us down. But God's actually out to improve your status if you just listen. Listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end, you will be wise. Well, advice is hard to take, though, especially if you didn't ask for it. Instruction, somebody starts telling you how to do things. We just, what, do you mean you think I don't know how to do this? Just listen. In the scriptures, now there are some basic things you have to do with instruction. Um, you need information, attitude, actions. You need to learn these things. Uh, the basic things Scripture says are to listen, remember, and obey. These, these are the key points of teachability. Listen, pay attention, give heed. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely. Many times whenever uh, people get into sermons or get into where teaching is going on or if they're listening to tapes, they zone out. Uh, I've seen people who have developed a habit of going to sleep. I can stand up, open a Bible... And they've been completely alive for that moment, all of a sudden. I you see them in the congregation. And you, you actually have to mentally engage your mind. My assumption is, if I'm where someone is speaking out of the Word, even if they're doing it poorly, God has something there for me. And I try to take notes, because take no, taking notes keeps me awake. If it gets too bad, you can always take a pen, jab it into your hand. <laughs> and stay there. You see, most, most people are assuming that God is off somewhere playing golf, 
and this guy's read God's book, and he's just talking about it. But my assumption is, if God, you know, if God puts me in a situation where I'm going to be instructed, that he's giving me instruction because there's a test coming down the pike before very long. And I, I want to grapple with this stuff and try to make it a part of my life. I heard Max at a conference years ago tell a group that, uh, in a church, that most people in churches don't take sermons seriously. They just sort of sit there and don't pay any attention. He said, but you know, if, it, say if your pastor got up and talked on sword fighting, should you just sit there and go to sleep? But said if after the sermon was over, uh, he said, now we're all surrounded outside here, and we're going to have to cut our way through. He said, you'd say, would you run through that sermon again, please? <laughs> when, I'll sit there and laugh, but it's true. Uh, my assumption is that God has something coming for me I, I need to prepare for. And um, if I'll try to engage with the Lord, even beyond the speaker, that he will... Uh, he will teach me. Listen, remember, uh, over and over again, do not forget my teaching. Pay close attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. It's one of the basic reasons for scripture memory. Uh, for me personally, not only scripture memory though, if I find a book that really helps me with my ministry, uh, I'll go through the book and outline the book, reduce that outline to something I can memorize and use in situations. Or I'll take a chapter out and outline that chapter. Many people feel that the purpose of a book is just to sort of get a mental massage and come out feeling real good, you know. That was good. Sort of like a good sermon, you know. <laughs> and you, you, you sort of wiggle around, squirm, and just feel good at that refreshment. Uh, but the pur purpose of instruction is to be able to use it in your, your daily life. I don't outline every book I read. A lot of them aren't worth outlining. Um, I'll go through maybe highlight a couple of key ideas and use those. But there are some books that are just chock full of instruction, and I need to work with those things until they become part of my life. Back in uh, 1974, uh, Max uh, did a mini-mester at Midwestern. And that's where I met a lot of guys that have been important in my life ever since then. I met Jack Owens for the first time. Uh, Brett, but um, at that conference, we had how many how many hours in class? Was it eighty? That's twice what seminary required. Uh, well, on one Sunday, we had Ralph Neighbor for eight hours solid. We just sent out for five hundred, four hundred McDonald's hamburgers or something like that. <laughs> those those little ones, and uh, we just put the hamburger on the on the desk and kept on eating and writing. Ralph was on his way to Singapore. It was eight hours solid. Uh, I was glad I was the age I was because I could handle that chair that long. <laughs> but, boys, it was wonderful instruction. We had guys, Roy Fish on the history of revivals, and Skip Gray on building leaders. I, I personally, I don't know what other people did with that. I, I'm, not, I'm not bragging on myself, but I personally took the information I got at that seminar, and I worked with that information for the next 14 years. Uh, a lot of people, I think, stuck it in notebooks and put it in files. But man, I, I pulled that stuff out and I worked on applying it. And whenever we built hope, that history of the revivals went into the foundation of the way we put the church together. Uh, stuff on building leadership went into the foundation of how we build leaders. And it took me 14 years to make that material a part of me. But, um, you know, it's line upon line, precept upon precept. 
I wish it could be megabyte upon megabyte, but it's not. <laughs> if, you, if you really want to learn, you have to go over stuff. You have to make it a part of you. Scripture memory is, is really good. As a matter of fact, if you, if you only have three or four verses you know, then the Holy Spirit only has three or four things he can punch to give you guidance with. If you know, if you know a lot of verses related to life, you get in situations, the Holy Spirit will punch that button, you've got guidance. Uh, one of the mistakes that a lot of ministers make is they spend 30 years walking with Jesus. God gives them spiritual discernment and insight. There's a tremendous amount of the Word hidden in their heart. And then they do seminars on how six-month-old Christians can have all this by just doing two or three things. But six-month-old Christians just don't get the discernment of 30-year-old, 30-year Christians. Discernment doesn't come because you get excited. Discernment comes because you've interacted with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit over time. And it's a real mistake. You, you need to remember over and over again. Remember my words and then apply, obey. Keep, do not forsake. Keep your father's commands. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Uh, these things go on and on. You, you need to apply them. He, he who obeys instructions guards his life. But he who is contemptuous of his ways will die. This is, you know, you know, what, you know what verse this is, don't you? This is the Christmas toy for your nine-year-old instructions verse. You, know, you get these toys you've got to put together for your kids, and you pull it out of the box, and you say, oh, I don't need to read the instructions. I can put this thing together. And about four hours later, you go back to the instructions. Okay. These, I've got 38 bolts right here and 30, 30, 37 washers. Why? <laughs> he who obeys instructions prospers. He guards his life. Uh, many times people will tell us things, and in our hearts the Lord says, you need to listen up. But in our minds, we choose to ignore it. We go on, we have trouble. You just want a teachable heart. For failure, if you really want to fail, then you just be an unteachable person. He who scorns instructions will pay for it. Proverbs thirteen thirteen. But he who respects a command is rewarded. If you're under authority, you need to learn to respect instruction from authority. But if you, if you scorn instruction in general, you will pay for it. Un, to be unteachable, just be unwilling to learn. Therefore, in the scripture, there are four ways to be unteachable. Four major responses that characterize unteachability. They're all, they're all set as opposites. That Hebrew poetry, they're set as opposites to learning or being instructable. Um, the first one is to ignore instruction, refuse to take notice of it. You know, here's a kid in school, a teacher's up at the board, uh, you're, you're in school, and rather than listening to the teacher, you're reading a book. I don't know if you ever did that or not. Uh, you're reading the Bible, you find something that challenges you, and you pretend you don't see it. Just sort of ignore it. You seek advice, you get words you don't want to hear, so you selectively take input from people, or you conduct a national survey until you find the person that agrees with you. You know, we just ignore instruction. Someone corrects you, you blow it off. He who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. He who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever heeds correction gains understanding. Well, ignoring is, is one way. Resisting is another. If you're going to resist something, you're going to withstand its force or its power or its effect on you. 
How you can do it by hardening your heart. That's one of the responses in Scripture. Blessed is the man who always fears the Lord. He who hardens his heart falls into trouble. You know where you just, you don't want to hear it? Yeah, I don't want to hear that. I just don't want to hear that. Uh, or is the, I want, I want to learn the hard way. Let me alone. I want to learn on my own. As I heard Chuck Madden say one time, experience really is the best teacher. The only problem is tuition so high. You get more money, you don't get more time. Uh, to harden your heart or stiffen your neck, you know, be to, that's in the scriptures. That idea of the stiff neck is that haughty, unyielding attitude. You know, your teacher corrects you because you're reading your comic book behind your real book in class, and you just really hate that. So, every opportunity you get, you pull that comic book out and read it just a spider, just show her. Or you're reading the Bible again. God speaks to you about a matter, maybe bitterness toward a person. And you harden your heart. You'd rather die than go to that person and humble yourself. You, you don't want to get to that point. Like God, just like God speak to you. Get the advice you didn't want because, because of the way the person did it. Because of the way, if they just said it a better way, you would have listened. But get to know a hard heart. Someone corrects you, makes you so mad, you give them a cold shoulder from here on. You're not about to consider what they said. They were so harsh and unfeeling. A man who remains stiff-necked after, stiff after many rebukes will be suddenly destroyed without remedy. Proverbs 29.1. Scorn is another way to resist. Well, this one's pretty popular. Whenever you scorn something, you reject it with disdain. You know, you look down on this thing. Um... In class, you know, teacher's teaching on a subject. You're, you're sitting there thinking, what possible use could this have? What, how could this ever fit into life? You're just scorning the instruction thing. Um, you know, what does this have to do with real issues? Someone shows you out of the Bible, say, about relationships or integrity or some values, and you say, that's just pie in the sky unreality. That's just totally unreal. I live in the here and now, and the Bible, you know, Bible may have good, been good for people back then, but this is 20th century, and dating standards are different now. You know, or pick anything else. Now, you get advice, and in your heart you think, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. How stupid only an idiot would ever think of doing that. Well, that's called scorn. You know, it may be that it is bad advice. You don't want to just take everything that comes your way. But... You want a heart that's willing to listen before it pronounces judgment or before it draws conclusions. Someone corrects you, boss at work, say, you tell another employee, what does that idiot know? He doesn't even know what's going on around here. And then you wad up the memo correcting you and you throw it away. That's called scorn. You scorn instruction. And uh, it's not recommended. He who scorns instruction will pay for it. He who guard, he obeys instructions guards his life. Another, another way to resist instruction is to congratulate yourself. To be wise in your own eyes. It's one of the most effective ways to sidestep corrective things that come your way. You know, in the classroom, you sit there and you think, I already know all this stuff. Why am I even in here? I already know all this stuff. Well, maybe you do know a lot. But, you know, maybe God also wants to speak to you about some things. 
Open your heart. Be glad for what you know. Look out for something you might not. If you're stuck there, you might as well make use of the time. In the Bible, you look at the book, and day to day, um, and you, you say to yourself, and you know, you're flipping through, and you see, oh, Ezekiel, and you say, oh, I already know Ezekiel. Go on over. Or you see Ephesians, oh, I've read Ephesians before. Well, it's one thing to read, it's another thing to have it in your heart. You know, the Bible, the Bible can speak to us. Familiarity, uh, familiarity with content doesn't prevent the Lord from showing you new depth. We just need to have a teachable heart. Someone corrects you and you say, oh, I know all that. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying, I've already done all that. We ask for advice, someone starts giving us advice. Yeah, I did that, yeah, I did that, yeah, I did that, uh-huh. Yeah, 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 I know all that. Um, you can, you're wise in your own eyes. The ways of a fool seem right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Often the source behind being wise in your own eyes is laziness. Do you know that? The scripture says that, uh, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? Um, or a lazy man is wise in his own eyes. And it says that he feels like he's wiser than seven men who can answer discreetly. And what's going on is this. If you, if you really don't want to do anything, you really don't want to make any changes, you, you really sort of like to lie around and watch flies crawl on the wall. I just not do a whole lot. It's very important to be wise in your own eyes. Because if other people could instruct you, if they weren't as smart as you, if they weren't as deep as you, if they weren't as wise as you, they might have something that they could tell you that you'd need to do. But since you're so much smarter and so much more capable and so much wiser than them, then obviously you don't have anything to do but lie here and watch flies crawl on the wall. You've already done everything. Laziness, one of the, one of the drives behind unteachability in students and in adults, is just laziness. They won't do anything. They, they start listening, start listening up. Now they may have to do something. Uh, unteachability's got its price tag. Let me just give them to you. Sure trouble. You're, you're surely headed for trouble. Man who hardens his heart falls into trouble. Scripture talks about three things that I guess you'd call them trouble. One of them is poverty. He who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame. Discipline's a word musar. It means corrective instruction. Instruction that comes with corrective. It's sort of like a, um, a coach does. You know, a coach says, yeah, that's good. Yeah, good, but you, you need to do this. It comes with a corrective edge. Uh, shame. He ignores discipline, comes to poverty and shame. Death. He who obeys instruction guards his life. He is contemptuous of his ways will die. Uh, unteachability is one of the major ways into failure. If you struggle with teachability, you're normal. If whenever people get up and start teaching, uh, you sit there and think about how you would have done that, then you're normal. You know, you're running normal comparison. You just need to say to yourself, shut up and listen. Uh, teachability is something that runs the gamut of life. I had a guy who wants to come to me and say, Harold, I want to talk to you about working with you. This was years ago when I was in, I was, I was in seminary. And he said, I, I, I really want to learn some things from you. He said, I went to 
uh, Jack Taylor, who's big in Deeper Life conferences at the time. I went to Jack Taylor, and Jack's already got all the guys he can handle. And I went to see Jim Hilton, and Jim was a big conference speaker, still is. Pastor's now Metro Church up in Edmond, a really good man. He said, and Jim has all the guys he can handle. And I went to see Roy Fish, the evangelism professor at Southwestern, who's widely known, and said, Roy's not taking on any more guys to teach. He said, then I went to see T.W. Hunt, who did the Mind of Christ uh, book, and said, T.W.'s not taking on anyone else. And then he named one more person, and he said, so, Harold, here I am. <laughs> and I thought, now, am I supposed to feel complimented? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is good company. Or am I supposed to feel down because I'm at the end of the line? <laughs> so I said, have you ever heard of Seth Gatchel? He said, who's he? I said, he's a guy that knows a whole lot less about ministry than you do, but he knows God far better than you ever dreamed of. <laughs> he said, no. I said, well, I think you need to meet with Seth. And uh, Seth had been growing with the Lord about two or three years, really, really knew the Lord's heart. I walked in obedience, did some very hard things, and this guy plugged in under him and learned. And uh, I was amazed, frankly, because ministry-wise, he was, he was fairly well-known. But I wanted to test him to see if he's teachable. Uh, I think it's Carolyn Teague told me one time, she said, you know, a hungry man will eat with a plastic fork. He doesn't demand silver. Scripture says the one who's full, even that which is sweet, tastes bitter. So, you always want to keep a little appetite for instruction. Uh, it doesn't have to be Billy Graham. Uh, God, God will use your kids to instruct you if you'll listen. So, questions. Just a couple of comments on patience. Let, let's just do that quick because it's very different. Impatience is a restlessness of spirit or short temper like under irritation or delay or opposition. And the three big expressions of it are pride, anger, and haste. In the scriptures, patience is one of those things that uh, is required if you really want to prosper. It's absolutely demanded. Now, again, we, we have the school mentality, like Covey says, we've got a school mentality in our society. You know, this is only going to last a semester. All we've got to do, I mean, this is just a big test. Let's push, let's cram, let's make an A. And I, I have done that. But you know, you, you don't do gardening like that. I mean, you don't walk out, you know, two days before the harvest, stick, stick beans in the ground and say, grow, baby, grow. And most of life is that way. Uh, kids are raised slowly, and it takes a lot of patience in doing right over a long time to see them grow. Students grow slowly. It takes a lot of patience over a long time to see them grow. And, you know, friend, it's hard to tell on day one who's going to produce in year 25. Uh, I've, I started several ministries, several student groups in L.A., student, several BSUs, and a ministry at, at uh, the seminary, Southwestern Seminary, and then we started Hope. And I have seen time and again the front runners at the outset fall away because though they, they were highly capable, there was something wrong down underneath. And it's just, you just have to be patient over the long haul. My, I told you the other day that in my, in my own experience, it takes about 15 years to see fruit off of what you do. 
in life and ministry. Uh, you plant now, 15 years from now, there'll be a harvest. It just takes a long time. Now, it's possible to grow a student group quickly. It's possible to grow a church quickly. But it just takes time, and you have to stay after the stuff. And in the, the, the heat of the summer, you still have to work. Over and over and over again, I wanted to quit, just absolutely quit and get out of here. Uh, twice I decided to, and I got a word from the Lord for did. He was going to kill me. He didn't tell me to raise $8 million. <laughs> but I, it was a very, a very sobering time. Those times were about, about three, four years apart. And I was in my quiet time. I decided I just need to stop this. I'll leave the work I was doing. It was just about to kill me. And in quiet time both times, the word came. Uh, you did this out of obedience. You stop at, at disobedience. I've given you influence in the lives of people. And you bail out. And I'm going I'm to take you. And it was amazing. I got my attitude all straightened out in about 20 minutes. <laughs> it's been, it's been a, a month of funk. In 20 minutes, I got it all straightened out. It takes long work. It takes encouraging one another. You know, there's not a one of you here that has an easy ministry. There's not a one of you. Every one of you is facing challenges. And the greatest challenges you're facing are not in your environment. They're between here and here. That this is 98% of the battle. Leroy Imes one time said, I heard him say, and there were, I was about 20, about 32 or 33, I heard him say, 90% of the battle is hanging on. And I thought, I might be able to do that. Looking back on the years, uh, 90% of the battle has been hanging on. The enemy comes after me over and over and over again in my thoughts. Sometimes it's been externally, but it's in my thoughts. Because his major, his major strategy for dealing with the flock of Christ is strike the shepherd and scatter the flock. And if he's not finding me particularly accommodating, he goes to strategy number two, which is when he wants Adam, he goes after Eve. So you go after my wife, and uh, you know where my wife is in my life, there is no armor. So she she can smite under the fifth rib at close range, and I'm I'm down. Um, and he'll he'll go after her. We have to straighten out things between us. And uh, the real source behind it all, there may be things we're not dealing with, the real source behind it all is just the enemy trying to bring disruption and discourage and take us out of the picture. You do not have an easy ministry. For that reason, you really need to encourage one another. You know, one, one thing I know, uh, say, oh, about Chris back here, Chris needs encouragement. One of the things I know about Carrie is Carrie needs encouragement. He doesn't have to tell me. I just know that. Johnny, Johnny needs encouragement. Kathy needs encouragement. I mean, it doesn't take a mystic to figure these things out. What we, what we tend to give one another is comparison. People need encouragement. They, they, they will need encouragement. In your own heart, you have to have a heart, though, of patience. You have to be in for the long haul, willing to see fruit later on down the road. If you try to evaluate your life at 40, like we talked about midlife issues the other night, 38, 39, 40, the big problem with life at that point is there's no fruit. 
You may have a few things sticking out of the ground, but there's no real fruit yet. It's going to come six, eight, ten years later. And you, you need to hang in. Now, God does change assignments for people. He does give different assignments. Sometimes, you know, they're in this ministry, moves them to this one. But whatever ministry you go to, you've got to hang in. Patience in the scripture is not simply sitting, rocking, saying, oh, yes, time will pass. Time will pass. We all grow old. It's being out there with hoe in hand in the hot sun, keeping on because there will be a harvest one day. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men. Galatians 6 says, because there will be a harvest. You just have to need to have the patience to wait on it. Let me, uh, can I lead us in prayer? Father, we've taken a look at these uh, things related to success, some basic mental framework, some of the attitudes we need to live with. Uh, fearing you in the right way, not the wrong way, and trusting you out of respect for you, taking action and believing you to come through to take care of us in line with your word. And humility and teachability and patience. These things are flow out of you, Lord, and we just pray in the name of Jesus you'd work them into our lives. Uh, we struggle with every one of them, but the wonderful joy is we do struggle because your Holy Spirit is present within us. And, Lord, you've made progress in these areas as we've walked with you, and we just rejoice in that progress. We also pray that you, you by your Holy Spirit, would just speak deeply in our hearts whenever we need to turn in one of these ways. And whenever our hearts do start to harden, you would tap us on the shoulder and remind us to listen up. Whenever pride and comparison and self-exaltation are just raging to get loose, that you would remind us of your own humility. And we pray for endurance, the patient endurance, to go ahead and be faithful like Paul and like your son, the Lord Jesus, who, for the glory and the joy that was set before him, endured the shame of the cross. We just bless you for your kindness to us and for telling us the truth about life. The whole world thinks that by blowing out their senses and pride and stubbornly pursuing their own ways, and by just hitting and missing that they're going to create success in life. But you have shown us the truth, and we just praise you for giving us truth in your word. We bless you and ask, Father, that we might be a group who would really encourage one another personally and in the ministry. We just bless you for your kindness to us in the name of Jesus. Amen.